Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast. We're here to keep you updated with legal and financial news that matters to you. I'm Jenny Arrowsmith, a partner in our employment team here at Erwin Mitchell, and I'll be your host today as we discuss agile and hybrid working and the changes that the COVID restrictions have meant in the short term and the long term for businesses. To do so, I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Employment Senior Associate Helen Dyke. Helen regularly provides strategic advice to our clients on areas such as redundancy and restructure and has been heavily involved in supporting clients throughout the COVID pandemic. So welcome, Helen. Hi, Jenny. The restrictions imposed during the COVID pandemic changed the way that many office-based staff worked. In March 2020, obviously, the government asked us all to work from home if we could, and that's carried on for much of the last year and into this year. In fact, it's only just opening up now. And at least 46% of the working population were therefore impacted and at some points during 2020 and 2021 have worked from home. And according to many recent surveys, many workers simply don't want to go back to their old traditional working patterns and the normal way of working. And so what we're facing is a new norm, I suppose. And ACAS recently did a survey and indicated that over half of employers are now expecting to see an increase in flexible working patterns and requests after the pandemic. So what we're seeing are organisations having a major rethink about how they want their workplaces to function in the long term. Many are considering introducing agile and hybrid working patterns to give staff the option of combining work from home and going into the office. So Helen, tell me a little bit about that. What What is hybrid and agile working? Well, I think people use it interchangeably with agile working. Um, essentially, hybrid working, it's it's a means of a working arrangement where an employee works for some of their time uh, at home or possibly at another remote location um, and some of their time in the workplace. And as I say, you know, people are using the phrase agile working interchangeably, but really essentially it's about bringing people, processes, um, connectivity, technology together to find the best way, the most effective way of working and the key is the huge shift in, in work, working culture, which is really fascinating. It, 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 as you say, it's not a new concept. Um, we've had the statutory flexible working approach in for many years now, and there's been a real growing trend, certainly over the last few years, um, which has just been massively accelerated due to uh, the forced changes brought about by the pandemic. Um, you know, the need for social distancing as really uh, led to a lot of companies changing their approach. We hear in the press about Microsoft, about Ford, Citigroup, Google, they're all looking at it. And, and then there's real pressure then on um, our, our clients, our businesses that we work with to look at it as well, because that's what employees are really pushing for. Lots of recruitment consultants are saying that, that you know, job adverts need to mention hybrid working now to be able to attract the best candidates. But, you know, as you said, there's not a one size fits all, is there, Jenny? No, not at all. And I, I agree with all you've said there. I'm, I remember back in 2019, so not, not long before the pandemic hit, I was doing um, a, a session with some senior HR colleagues um, talking about flexible working. And we were discussing and debating how in the next few years, flexible working requests are going to increase just because we were starting to see people wanting more from work-life balance. Now, obviously, we never envisaged the changes that were then to follow in 2020. Um, and I think what that forced all businesses to do is experiment a bit about how it could work. And that, that was really interesting because so many organisations in two, 2019 were saying that for one reason or another, 
they wouldn't be able to support substantive homeworking or agile working to the extent that they then experienced that actually they could, they could make it work. And I, I agree with what you've said as well, that employees have also had a taste of that. And I think I think it's lasted so long now, hasn't it, that the, the, the idea of then just going back to what was in place is just something that they don't want. And actually, I think employers have seen some benefits to it as well. And some of those benefits include higher levels of productivity um, in terms of how people are working. I think this old old perception that if you're not physically in the office, you're not being productive, you're not going to be working, um, you won't have the same level of output. I think that's been proven to be incorrect, largely. If anything, you know, we're hearing that actually people are working harder than ever, which isn't necessarily a good thing. And we'll come on to that in terms of the well-being impact as well. Organisations have also been saying that they've had some cost savings. You know, we many many were getting to the place, weren't they, where they didn't have enough desks for people, and we're looking at buying more um, property or redesigning the workspace. And and this has given a real opportunity to be more creative in how people work and how you can use that workspace um, to be, I suppose, more collaborative and move away from that traditional. Everybody has their 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 space their fixed area in the workplace they come in they sit there they go home and 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 expected to work just in that sort of rigid fashion that's also changing and the other the other other benefits i've i've seen is on recruitment and you mentioned that you know it is definitely work life balance and flexibility has been emerging as something that individuals are looking for in their employers that's even more so the case now but i think also they've there's, there's been a bit of an opportunity where locality is less of an issue. Um, so if you're an organisation which is quite niche um, and you physically therefore have previously needed to attract people from your local geographical area, perhaps you don't now because the jobs can be done more remotely and you can widen the pool. So there's all sorts of opportunities that come from it. And I think with businesses moving into a more strategic approach to keeping some of this hybrid and agile working, that's they're building on those advantages, aren't they? And and the positive things coming out of it. But there's, like you say, it's not one size fits all. And there's certainly some roles it's just not suitable for. And indeed, some some um, work settings it's not suitable for. So perhaps tell me tell me a bit about the the cons. Now we've talked about the the the, the positives, Helen. Well, I think you've mentioned well-being. That's really interesting. I know we're going to talk about that a bit later on. But the the risk of burnout, obviously, is something that um, is an issue. Uh, throughout the pandemic, um, the key for me would be uh, that it's that it's just not right for all types of jobs or people. And um, you know, it really depends on your business. That's got to be the starting point. What's viable for your business? And obviously, it's really really important to engage with your employees, to carry out um, surveys, and to understand what people want. But essentially, can can you do it? Is it right for the types of uh, jobs that you have. Um, we've already mentioned about, you know, the flexible working issues where um, you go through that statutory process and um, you're looking to decline requests. Now, that that was easier pre-pandemic where you, you could just say it wasn't viable for that particular job. Now you're going to have more pressure um, where people have made it work during the pandemic. But is that good enough for you and your business? Is there a compromise that can be reached? Um, and, you know, like I say, there will be certain types of roles uh, that just it can't be done from home. You know, t teachers, for example, that, that 
you have to have face-to-face -face contact. Um, factories would be another example. And then you've got the issue of a split workforce because you're going to have certain roles within those sectors which can be done from home, but then within your company, you've got people that need to be on site. Um, so how do you deal with that? Do people feel that that's unfair? Um, do you need to have that presence on site to be able to have that um, collaboration? So if you're looking at um, bringing in a policy um, or if you're imposing a change on a certain group of employees, then you're you're going to need to consider um, certain risks around that. So any kind of change like that, is there going to be a risk of um, claims around indirect discrimination against particular groups? Are, are you, for example, are you going to have younger workers that are more likely to, to rent their home, um, which means that they've got less space for safe working from home? Is that going to be an issue for them? You know, there's lots of examples of um, particularly younger people that have had to be you know, uh, in difficult circumstances, working on the bed, on the sofa, and um, you've got the impact on health and safety around that. Um, you've got issues around people feeling more isolated. If you've got this split workforce, you're going to have people um, feeling that they've got less chance of promotion or building that relationship with the, you know, the senior management team with their manager. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting in terms of the cons, and I think. Businesses that we're talking to are very conscious of that. Um, I know there's a report out by Glassdoor that said that working from home has disproportionately had a negative impact on younger employees. Um, and we, we're certainly seeing um, that, that, you know, sort of 18 to 24 year olds, they're really keen to get back to the office. And it's important for them, you know, for socialising, for learning, for training. Um, so there is a, a real mix of considerations that, that we need to think about. It's not just all the positives and the benefits that, that you've gone through, Jenny. It's a, it's a balance. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And I think that's exactly why I'm not hearing of um, many organisations who are moving fully to a wholly agile workforce where everybody's working at home or in a, di in a different way and are still wanting some kind of means where people are being brought together. But perhaps that's in a different way. It might be just down to employees' choice. And I know that's what we've done at Erwin Mitchell in terms of giving people the choice as to whether they want to work wholly in the office, um, more at home than not, or work at different offices. And I think I think that that that's great because it certainly helps support engagement, doesn't it? Because like you say, everybody from an individual level has different priorities. Um, some people will find that they want to be in the office physically working alongside colleagues, whether it's like you've indicated, just because that's how they learn, or perhaps they just feel that disconnect through working remotely. Others might feel differently if they were being forced back into that working environment when actually they've seen seen the benefits of it. So I think I think most employers that I've been speaking to have been listening to their workforce before pressing forward with any particular changes, which I think is the right thing to do. And is doing a bit of a balanced approach, like you say, um, and giving giving an element of choice and flexibility to the to, to their staff to choose how they want to work as well. So, so I agree with, with with all of that. And coming through from all of that, I think what's emerging is it's a different way of leading the workforce, isn't it? Because you know, managers here have had to in the last year manage their people in a different way because you're not physically face to face so you can't measure the output just by seeing when people are 
physically in front of you working or not um, and also manage teams that are spread out haven't seen each other for a long time but still make them feel connected to each other in the team but connected to what you're all trying to do and achieve so it's an inclusive way of managing that needs to be um, led from the top and that's, that's certainly something that came out when we were discussing this in a senior HR session I was leading earlier in the year a group of HR directors um, and I were discussing this very topic and we were talking about these pros these cons the challenges and what they feel is is happening in their organizations and what needs to happen and overwhelmingly it was about looking at the values of the organization do they need to change are they aligned to this new way of working are, are the leaders leading by example and, and allowing it to happen and align managers being equipped with the skills they need to manage their workforce in a different way and that's interesting as well because that leads on to all sorts of other questions about how you might have traditionally like I say measured output or set objectives for people does that need to change so training I think for line managers is absolutely key to upskill them and help them feel equipped to make this hybrid agile working really effective and I know that's something that comes out from the ACAS guide as well that, they, that they've issued in relation to, to, um, to this topic and indeed I've been asked to do some training for some line managers on, on it as well just to help them take stock on some of these issues and think practically about what, what changes they need to be making to how they manage people so they don't fall foul of things such as people feeling disconnected, lacking in progression, feeling isolated and that all the things that you and I, Helen, know too well can breed from that, such as grievances and you know, resonations and discrimination complaints and the like. So we've talked about quite a lot there. I think, I think what comes out from that for me is there's quite a lot to think about when you're moving forward and moving away from this temporary state that we've been working in for the last 18 months or so in terms of responding to the restrictions that have been in place. And now things are opening up and let's hope that continues to be the way but moving forward into well what does this look like going going forward so what kind of things do we need to look at you've mentioned a policy you know you mentioned policies before um the need to have a policy and i think that's absolutely right to to set some expectations on both sides what kind of other things we've mentioned um health and safety i think you mentioned and that that certainly is something that needs to be looked at and a good reminder that as a lone worker, you do need to have your health and safety risk assessments in place and they need to be continually reviewed, don't they, Helen? And then you've got data protection, you've got all sorts of other issues and all these we've pulled together and put into our toolkit, which is probably quite a good time for me to mention the toolkit that we've developed because we've obviously been talking to clients and and and, and many people in relation to these issues and there's definitely some themes coming through from all our seminars and things we've done on this um, and frequently asked questions so we've pulled together some of those and health and safety data protection was one but also whether we need to make contractual changes so what are we saying in relation to the contractual changes Helen have you got any have you been advising on that in any in any way I think there's there's different approaches um, and it will depend on the approach that you're taking within your business so if you're looking at more of an ad hoc style then it might be that a policy is sufficient if you're imposing changes then you would need to look at the contract you'd need to think about things like place of work is that changing or are you keeping the the office or the the um, the, the, the workplace itself as the as the place of work in the contract 
um, if you're having a, a split place of work, then you'd need to think about the implications of that. So things like travel expenses, for example, that's a question that I've been asked by clients. How does that impact expenses policies? So it's really important that you consider whether or not you're going to look at amending contracts. And if you are, then it might be the case that you need some legal advice around that, because if you're changing contracts for more than 20 people, you may well have to go through um, what's called a collective consultation process. Really important that you get that right. Um, there are clear steps that you need to follow within that process, uh, and it would be worth having a look at the toolkit that Jenny mentioned, um, just to make sure that you're clear on, on those considerations before you move forward with it. So really important that you do think about whether or not you need to change the contract. It might be the case that, as I say, it's ad hoc and it can be dealt with within the policy. Yeah, and also the employment particulars do need to state what the place of work is. So if there is a clear change to that, that does need to be reflected and any changes in relation to that need to be updated within a month of happening. But I think the difficulty with this is that there isn't a fixed place of work, is there? So I I, I think I, I agree with everything you've said there. I know of different companies doing different things. Um, we've certainly advised in some instances that it should be a formal contractual change. So Jenny, just to return back to the point around well-being, obviously we've talked about in terms of the issues that employers need to think about. We've got the, the checklist that they should go through. Um, we've talked about uh, the need to understand what employees want and, and carrying out surveys so that you fully understand what your, what your workforce want. Um, but then a lot of that's going to be linked back to well-being, isn't it? And, you know, it's it's all over the press in terms of the mental health crisis that we're facing. Um, and I think the businesses that I talk to really feel that there's quite a burden, quite a responsibility on them to look after their staff and make sure that they're supporting them. So what, how, how do you think well-being links in with this new way of working, this hybrid working that we're talking about? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, pre-pandemic, when it was a rising topic then, wasn't there? And the focus seemed to be more on how employees need to look out after themselves outside of the work, you know, getting better exercise, eating well, those kind of things. And they still very much remain important. But but the way we're actually working has also had an impact. So constant screen time has been something that I know a lot of people have felt very, very difficult to manage. The feeling of being living at work and, you you know, you, you'll have heard of that phrase where there's no clear boundaries between the start and the end of the working day necessarily and the, the laptop's always there, you know, and, it, and so doing longer hours has also had a negative impact on, on well-being, I think, during the pandemic. As well as it's quite a draining way of working, you, you miss that face-to-face -face social interaction. So I think I think that also has, has has had an impact. And then we've talked about some, you know, some people. And you mentioned younger people typically might be living in small smaller environments, perhaps not areas that are particularly conducive to a good working environment. If you're living and working in in a small space, you know, you can't shut the door and move away, can you? So all of these things have meant that the mental health issues about how we're working have have come to a front as well. And I think through that, people have also become a lot more self-aware of their health and what they need and had a bit of time maybe just to step back and think about work-life balance and how, you know, may, maybe they like the ability and the flexibility to be at home working where they can work for good blocks of period, but then have um, a, a time in the day 
where they might go for a walk and, and fit in the need for exercise and these things that are good for us within their working day in a way that they couldn't if they were doing the traditional commute, you know, into London or, or such like and, and working in a physical office space. So it's made people more aware. It's brought issues to, to a front, I think, but it's also created some opportunities for people to help manage their own well-being themselves. And that's that's important that they're managing their well-being themselves. And you mentioned yourself that just now that employers feel that there's quite a lot on them to make things OK for everybody. And I think that's really difficult. Now, employers have a duty of care to their, their employees, as we know. But they can't fix everything for everybody. So it's 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 about putting putting out um, support where support is needed, keeping good levels of discussion and engagement, signposting um, to useful resources and 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 tools that people can use to help keep resilience, manage their workload, check in when they're not doing okay. It's all those kind of things that we've been talking about, hasn't it? And where you know that somebody isn't okay, obviously you've got additional duties as an employer to step in and provide some additional support at that point. They're the kind of things that I've been seeing. Have you seen anything different coming through? No, very similar, really. I mean, there's been a lot of questions around um, the pressure on the UK government to look at the right to disconnect, which is a really interesting concept. It's obviously a European concept and um, certain countries like France, I think Ireland are looking at it. Um, but there is pressure on the UK government to take that step of introducing that right where people have a legal right to switch off because that's one of the issues, isn't it? You talk about boundaries, Jenny, but whilst you have that opportunity to build in that work-life balance, to exercise, to go out for a walk at lunchtime, people miss that switching off, that commute time, because that that set the boundary between work and home. And that's all merged now and it's all very grey and people can pick up emails at 10 o'clock at night over the weekend because it's what they've become used to doing. So I think the, the idea of the right to disconnect, even if it's not brought in as a, as a piece of legislation in the UK, it's something that um, businesses do need to think about to make sure that they're getting the best out of their staff. You know, there's a lot of talk around having a four day week around is the nine to five dead? Um, you know, are they looking at reducing hours? Some businesses are reducing um, the hours within the day or reducing the number of days that people work. So really interesting that businesses are thinking about this. Certainly our clients are coming to us and talking to us about how they can get the best performance out of their staff. And well-being, I think, is just intrinsic to that. It's really important that businesses have it on their agenda and that they're, they're talking to their staff about it. That leads back to doing things like pulse surveys so you understand how um, your staff are feeling. So, yeah, really interesting idea there. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And the I think it was the French disconnect was having much more of a, a start and an end to the working day. And I, I I find that a bit uncomfortable in terms of how that would then fit with some of the things we've been talking about and the positives of the agile hybrid working. Because like we've said, you know, some people might want to move the, the start of their day to a slightly later time and, and then finish slightly later because that works for them and perhaps that works for their job. And in fact, if you've got members of the team working different times like that, you've got coverage for a longer part of the the day which might indeed be good for clients so I think I think it's interesting isn't it that that some of these um thoughts around the right to disconnect I understand fully why 
why that's been debated and I, I, sh I share that to a large extent but I think it comes down to this same point that we've said again and again there isn't a one-size-fits-all and I think I think it's embracing that and respecting people's right to say right I've done my working day now and then just because the you know work is home as well that 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 doesn't mean to say that they can just then be called in the evening just because it's easy for them to log on and deal with a particular issue because they've that they've done their working time so it's an interesting debate and that also takes me back to my point that I made earlier that this this I think is about changing the way that people are managed and changing values in organization and it comes very much down to trusting people as well doesn't it to do the right thing to work as needed um, to be really clear on what is expected of them in their roles and to deliver on that, but then on management to ensure that staff are looking after themselves and being supported to deliver on that and getting balance. And balance is always very difficult, isn't it? Um, so the, there's no easy answers with all of this, but I think it's quite, it, it, it's certainly um, it's certainly very interesting, quite exciting to see how the workforce is changing, really, and how it will respond. And I'm, I'm sure there's lots of opportunities coming from from it. Um, but we've got to keep a close eye on on the emerging mental health issues, which um, are not just due to this. You know, we were talking about this with clients for two, the last two, three years and seeing that surge in, in mental health issues in the workplace, weren't we, Helen? But it certainly um, got worse for some over the course of, of, of the pandemic. But I think a lot of that has come down to change as well. You know, no, we, we ha it's been such a long protracted period of uncertainty that's, that's not helped with many people as well. And then obviously they've not been able to go out and get the social interaction with friends and family in the same way. And all of that supportive network is, is going to have a, had an impact. So I don't think it's as, as simple as saying that wellbeing impact has just been because of purely the changes in the workplace in terms of having to work at home more. No, and in terms of how businesses deal with it, I think it's it can be quite a daunting thing. Firstly, the whole concept of and the pressure of having to look at changing the way that you work. So looking at hybrid working as a model, um, that's quite daunting for businesses. And then the idea of supporting your staff where they're having you know, in some situations, really quite serious mental health issues, or it might just be more of a minor well-being issue that people feel that um, slightly disengaged or, um, you know, not entirely happy with the way that things are. Um, so that that's a big burden on on businesses. And that's the that's the feedback that I'm getting that people feel daunted by this change and that they need to that they're feeling left behind when the likes of Google, the big organisations are looking at it um it's it's in the press it's on social media um how do they then tackle this what could be quite a fundamental shift in in the culture of their working and that's what we're doing at the moment isn't it jenny in terms of the advice that we're giving to clients to just take a step back and understand um what it is that their business needs what can they do what sort of compromises can they offer and to run through that that checklist that we've talked about in our in our toolkit that we've developed. Yeah, absolutely. And with any change, you know, the, the success to managing these things is understanding what your employees are wanting, having some good communication, thinking ahead. And that's why we developed the 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 checklist as part of the toolkit. So the kind of things that you need to 
be ready for because even if you're in a position where you're fearful of that change and a bit hesitant about it like you said right at the very beginning Helen this this is a form of flexible working and we are seeing an increase in flexible working requests and it is going to be something that employers are going to have to address so with all of that I think our ultimate advice is for all businesses to start thinking about the extent to which these issues are relevant to them and what the mood is with their workforce in terms of what their workforce are wanting and indeed what they would be needing in order to keep attracting and retaining people. And if you wanted any help with that, we've obviously mentioned our toolkit, which includes things such as um, a sample policy, some full answers to frequently asked questions um, and a checklist as well as some contractual clauses which you might find useful to put in your contract if you were interested in knowing a bit more information about that toolkit you can obviously connect with either myself Jenny Arrowsmith or Helen Dyke on LinkedIn or you'll be able to find our contact details on the Irwin Mitchell website we also have some information about the toolkit on the um, employment pages of our website. So please do take a look if you'd be interested to know more and just think that that would help you as a starting point. So, Helen, I think that's it for today. We've had a good discussion around agile hybrid working and the debates around that. So I'm going to close there. So, Helen, thank you very much for discussing with me today. And thanks for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please do join us for our next episode. 